guess what, garden nerds? We got a sponsor. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned small business that ships craft CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. They offer tinctures, edibles, salves, and coffee designed to help with sleep, stress, and sore muscles. They're located outside Burlington, Vermont, and were originally a dairy farm. But in 2019, they decided to diversify and start growing hemp. You know, hemp. It's going to save the world. Anyway, you're supporting regenerative agriculture when you buy products from Sunset Lake CBD. They use regenerative and organic methods, and their farm workers are paid a living wage, and the employees own the majority of the company. I've been using the hemp and arnica salve, and I really love how it smells and feels. And my husband has been drinking the coffee, and he says that he's having a no-jitter experience. So use the promo code NERD for 20% off your entire order at SunsetLakeCBD. Now, on with the show. It's the Gardener Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. This week, we're chatting with Nicole Burke, founder of Gardenary and author of Kitchen Garden Revival, a modern guide to creating a stylish, small-scale, low-maintenance edible garden. Before Gardenary, Nicole ran a successful gardening business in Houston, Texas, and now she offers online courses for gardeners of all levels and certification programs for gardening coaches. She's talking with us today from Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you so much, Christy. It is such a treat to be here today. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because we're meeting for the first time on this podcast. And my introduction to you was your 2020 book, Kitchen Garden Revival. Your publicist sent me the details and it's gorgeous. And it sold more than 20,000 copies, which is probably more now than it was when that information came across my desk. But I think that A, is amazing. B, it's beautiful and you should be so proud of your work. But before we get to that, let's talk about your garden and your story. Where are you and what kind of garden do you have? Yes, so I am in a little northwest suburb of Chicago, Illinois, which to be honest, Christy, sounds so weird to say out loud because I'm not from here. (laughs) And even though we've lived here for three years, um, a lot of that has been during the COVID pandemic. So um, I still very much feel like I am a Southern gardener. That's where I grew up. I grew up in the South. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure. But currently I am obviously a Midwest gardener. So I'm trying to take on that title. Um, My garden is, you know, I guess it depends on who you're talking to. To a beginner gardener, it might look large. To an experienced gardener like yourself, it probably seems a little small. Um, I have about 90 square feet of gardening space um, in terms of my my vegetable and fruit gardens, my raised beds. And then I also have a pollinator flower garden in front. Um, So it's pretty conservative in size. Um, It's six beds, two and a half by seven feet each. And I have two big arch trellises that I love to expand my growing on. So that's mostly what my garden looks like right now. Actually, this morning, I'm dreaming, Christy. I really, really am hoping I can build a bigger garden in my backyard before winter comes or before winter truly sets in. Um, I guess we're very close to winter right now. (laughs) So we'll see if we'll see if um, we'll see if I can make it happen before the new year. Uh, But that's my garden space. And you'll actually that's actually the picture of the garden that's on the front of my book. 
I was going to say those arches are pretty signature, aren't they? It's kind of what your your imagery anyway invokes when you look at the the pictures in your book. Uh, it's it's all about those arches and those long raised beds. They're so adorable, and I just I want to gobble them up. They're so beautiful. It's funny how these things happen, right? I remember. Um, I, when I first started Rooted Garden in 2015, I was using, you know, typical tomato cages and cattle panel. And I was installing these gardens for my first clients. And Christy, I literally had scratches all over my arms from right. all the cattle panel that I was hauling. And like I, I felt like I was endangering my life and my children's every time I was making these arches and things for my, for my clients. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I would go back and, and the clients whose tomatoes were in these tomato cages, um, I was growing vining tomatoes. And I mean, I had used great soil. So when you do that and you have a small tomato cage, you have a big problem, you know, two or three months later. Right. So it was really the, the arches and the big steel trellises really came honestly as a, um, a way to save myself. <laughs> so we started using these, these really big, large iron and steel trellises in the garden and I didn't have to cut myself, you know, and, um, and then we ended up with just these, these beautiful gardens. So I, I never knew I was, I never honestly planned to be known for the arch trellis, but I guess it's become my thing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's gorgeous. And well, before we get to talking a little bit more about gardening, I noticed in your bio that you lived in China for a while. Tell me about that. I know. Is that crazy? It is. Um, let me see. Let me see if I can say any any Mandarin. Ni hui shuo zhongwen ma. That's pretty much all of it. But if anyone's listening that speaks Mandarin, please forgive my bad tones. Um, yeah, I lived there right after college. I was very... I don't know about you, Christy, if this happened to you in college, but I, you know, I, I just, I went to liberal arts school. I was, I studied accounting and math and somewhere in like my junior or senior year, I decided it was up to me to save the entire planet. Yes. I needed to just go, go, you know, around the world and, and try to do something amazing. And so I, um, I actually lived among like a, a minority group in China. I lived in Southwest China and I was working to help these minority groups in terms of um, economics and things. And it was so funny because I went to help them and they helped me. You know, I, I don't know if I did very much for them, but uh, we lived in a small town and we would travel out to these minority villages um, at least weekly or every other week, something like that. We got lost a lot of times. <laughs> it was my first exposure to two really important things, local and seasonal food and farming. And so like a real up close um, exposure to farming and it just, you know, I was like, wow, what do I have to offer these people? I have an accounting degree. And um, <laughs> so it, the seasonal food, I don't know, Christy, if you grew up with this, I did not. And so I would be in our little town, you know, we go to buy every day. They call it my Thai, like Nitri Nali, Watri my Thai. And it's like, I'm going to go buy my vegetables and you buy them every day. And it's from people who've literally come down off the mountain with that day's harvest. And so it was this new thing where like you'd, we'd fall in love with these lychees or something and we'd buy them a ton because they, you know, to us, they were cheap. So we'd buy a ton. We'd like just fill ourselves to the fullness with them. And so we couldn't eat anymore. We'd go back the next day to buy them. And they're like, oh, mail, like they're the gone. The season's over. Yeah. The season's over. And we're like, no, no, no. Like 
in America, you can have a pineapple 365 days out of the year. Like, what are you talking about? There's none. And um, yeah, I didn't even realize that's what I was learning, but uh, it was very influential um, just watching these people live off the land and live by the seasons. And uh, yeah, I was there two years. And so came back pretty, as you, I'm sure if you've done international travel, you like, you're like so shocked when you get back. You're like Tom Hanks from uh, Castaway. Uh, Castaway, yes, Castaway. Yeah, when he gets back in the hotel room and he's like lying on the floor like a baby, you know, it's like that's how I felt. I would like go in a restaurant and watch people order like all kinds of crazy things, and yeah. I can remember just like being in the bathroom crying, honestly, like I couldn't deal with with the change. So, yeah, it impacted me so much. I don't think I did very much for them except for amuse them with my big nose. Um, <laughs> Um, but, but it, I learned so much from them. I'm so thankful for that time. And, uh, yeah, I think I can look back now and I didn't realize it while I was going through it, but it really impacted, um, I'd say my life's calling, I guess. And that leads me to my next question, because it sounds like this was the beginning of vegetable gardening for you, but how, how did that become your focus? Yeah, it took years, honestly, uh, Christy. So I came back shell shocked and, trying to find my way, um, met my husband and we moved to Philly and lived in a row home. We didn't even have the whole row home. We just had the second floor and we had no yard. So I wasn't really doing, and I didn't even have a balcony to do any gardening there, but I would watch with envy um, my neighbors, you know, who were out planting and, and growing there. And then we moved to Charlottesville, Virginia oh, um, a year later. So oh my sorry. gosh, that <laughs> is dreamy. And do you know where I lived? Where? I, I lived a exit away from Thomas Jefferson's Monticello. That area is just so gorgeous. And I've talked to other, there's, there was another guest I had on recently who lives in Charlottesville. I was just like so jealous because it's so green and lush and everything's far apart and there's space and oh, nature. It's wonderful. Green space. Their, their like green space ratio there is amazing. Huge. So I had my first two kids there and I would, I was doing contract work for a philanthropy company there. And, um, I would take my babies on walks across, like right down the street, like literally right beside Thomas Jefferson's kitchen garden. Mm. So they had this incredible trail on Monticello and I would just walk them until they would fall asleep. And I can remember actually pulling out of the, um, of our neighborhood one day and seeing someone's bumper sticker and it said, eat local. And, you know, and like in Charlottesville, it's like a big movement. The, the farmer's market there is amazing. So I started getting the itch there. But once again, we only had a townhome mm -hmm. and we lived, um, Charlottesville is incredibly mountainous. And we, like our backyard was literally an Ivy mountain. So <laughs> uh, I started with herbs there. That was my intro. And you'll get, you'll hear this theme quite a bit, but that was my, my first try was rosemary and oregano and chives, mostly in containers. Um, I had two children 14 months apart, so I didn't have a lot of time to do much besides them. <laughs> and, um, but I just watched this oregano come back every year in our little garden and we re-landscaped the yard. So that got me going. And then it really started when we moved to Nashville. You'll find moving is also a part of my story. <laughs> uh, my husband's a scientist. He's an organic chemist. So all of our moves have been for his career. It's a if you know anyone who's done PhD and postdocing and all that, it's a like it's a lifelong journey. It feels like so. So we moved to Vanderbilt, where he postdocked, and I had two more kids there, 
And my four-year-old, my oldest at the time, she looked at me one summer and she, I guess our first summer there. And she said, mommy, when are you going to build my garden? Ooh. <laughs> and I was like, uh, cause you know, I was in love with the garden. I was dreaming of the garden. I was reading them all these books from the library on gardening, but we really didn't have much. So anyway, um, we finally dug in, we were renting there again on a slope. We did everything wrong, <laughs> but we started that summer. I think it was the summer of 2010. And uh, next year we did some raised beds and then fast forward, um, we started to have a little bit of success, mostly failures. Uh, and fast forward to 2013, we moved to Houston and we took all those, those three summers of frustration and you know failing in uh, Nashville, we had tried a whole lot. And we read some books for the first time when we moved to Houston. We did all raised beds. We did great local soil. We started with great seeds. And that first fall in Houston, that was 2013, we just had super duper success. Yeah. And that was when the bug bit me hard. And I'm like, all right, I'm in it for good. Let's do it. Yeah. It's funny what a little knowledge can do for you. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's like, Oh, read the instructions before you put the furniture together. <laughs> Such a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. And so then you moved again. Now you're in Chicago. So you've been pretty much gardening in almost every hardiness zone, haven't you? <laughs> I know it's so, you know, I did not want to move here. I will say, um, I kind of, well, my life coach tells me I did want to move cause I am here, but I came kicking and screaming. Um, I was not ready for this. I didn't feel ready for this cold of a climate, but yeah, it has been so helpful to me as a teacher and, um, as a book writer, honestly, I'm sure you've come into this where it feels sometimes like most of the gardening knowledge out there or the experts either live in California. Um, no, like I love my California gardeners, but they either live in California or they're like in New England or they're in the UK. It just feels like there's like two or three spots mm -hmm. um, where the experts live. And I came across that honestly, a lot of times when I was reading gardening books, I loved what they wrote. Um, but I couldn't relate to what they were saying because they would say like, plant this in your landscape, hardiness down to, to zone eight. And I'm like, whoa, wait, I can't do that then. <laughs> no. Like you just cut out half of the country, you know? Uh, yeah, so it, it has it has taught me so much. What Houston did is it taught me that it's possible to grow every single month of the year mm -hmm. because previously I, you know, I was kind of buying into the, the nationwide idea of only garden in the summer. So Houston opened my eyes to like, this is a year round activity. Yeah. And then Chicago opened my eyes to quality over quantity because in Houston, we have tons of quantity, but it's rarely feels like that perfect condition. Mm -hmm. And then in Chicago, you know, it, it feels much shorter, but it's like, wow, like yeah. perfect temperatures, perfect long days. Um, and the garden, like the year I wrote my book was when I set up my garden here and I was literally jaw dropped like every single day, just watching nature do its thing. Yeah. It's so condensed. And, you know, in places where the winter gives the soil a little bit of a rest, yeah. it makes such a huge difference the next season. Whereas over here in sunny Southern California, we're gardening year round and there is no real rest for the soil. So we just keep having a give it some love. So yeah, in Houston, that's we, every three months, we dump two to three inches of compost in the garden. 
Yeah, yeah that's it's so interesting. I was reading an article about it was a Californian who wrote it and he was proposing to use the summer as the winter. In that's California. what we do. Yeah, basically yeah. that's what we do. Yeah, because it's so hot. It really, we just don't plant anything after July 1st and, and until the weather cools down, which is sometime at the end of October, maybe early November. And so you get as much as you can in right at the end of June and that's going to take you through. And then the rest of the time you're just like, well, nope, not going to plant anything because it'll just fry. And that's, that's how I operate. Basically. Yeah. Kind of let, the, let the earth take a break. Right. But you, so you mentioned that you wrote your book the first year you were living in Chicago. Let's talk about that. Cause there's so many beautiful, you said jaw dropping, and that's true. Beautiful images in that book that are really inspiring for new gardeners. Let's talk about the book and what, what are some of the key points that you want people to know? Yeah, um, it was such a treat to get to write that book. Honestly, I got approached for the book project and I was so busy. Yeah. <laughs> I had just moved here and I was um, working with my team in Houston, trying to keep my, my business going there and then really trying to, to bring Gardenary to life, my, um, my courses and my certification program. So, um, so we did the photos in a couple of different shoots. It was pretty crazy. My, um, my photographer actually lives in Charlottesville, Eric Kelly. I met him when I lived there. Um, he is a wedding photographer and so um, such a treat to work with. So we first started, he came here. It had just snowed eight inches oh my God. Um, on Sunday. <laughs> it was April 15th. I will never forget. Um, my husband wrote me a text from the library and said, I'm at the library. Would you like a book on depression? <laughs> he, he knew I was literally dying inside. So he got to photograph the full installation of the kitchen garden. What I had done when the, the book publisher approached me, they said, we've been looking for someone to do a kitchen garden book. That's your thing. We want you to teach that, you know, teach how you do kitchen gardens. Mm -hmm. And so what I, what I had learned with Rooted Garden, by the time I got the book deal, we had probably installed over a hundred raised bed kitchen gardens since wow. 2015. Amazing. You do that many. And when you do it with a team and you can't even be there in person, um, we had really developed a system. So the first half of the book is really all about that system, how to approach a space, how to, you know, start to even start to figure out, you know, how could a garden fit in this space? What's the best layout? What's the best style? And I tried to speak to what really is our specialty. I, I was actually talking with my, a business coach the other day. He's like, why do people even come to your site? Because we were talking about my website. I'm like, I need to work on it. He's like, well, why do they even come there? And I was like, I think the main reason they come there is because of the beautiful gardens. I was like, a lot of people know a ton about gardening but I know how to make really beautiful food gardens. Yes, you and so, so what I tried to do in the beginning of the book is really for the DIYer, really bring them into that process of that we go through when we're designing gardens, that there's a real system to looking at a space and picking out where would it fit. And I have, I think I say this in the book, like no more awkward gardens. <laughs> oh, here, here. Yes. <laughs> We've had so many consults will go on, you know, and the, the you typically not always it's a female and she'll say my husband doesn't want to do a garden he thinks it's going to look horrible right. it's just going to be like this box sitting out in the middle of the yard he's like and she'll say like we should probably put it behind the garage right oh, and uh, I, I feel like gardens have gotten such a bad rap right yeah. like, 
seriously, we think food gardens are so ugly that we want to hide them behind the garage. Um, so my goal is for the food garden to actually be the most beautiful, stunning part of the landscape to the mm -hmm. point where, you know, when friends come over or, you know, people visit, that's the place they're the most drawn to. And so in the first four chapters, I really walk the reader through that step-by-step -step process. We have a saying at Ruta Garden that the garden should look like it's always been there. And so I, I try to really bring that into focus um, for the readers. So they actually get to see how I put my garden in. So Eric was here in April, the snow cleared, thank the Lord. And uh, so he got to photograph the whole thing from clearing the land um, to putting the raised beds and the trellises in all the soil and everything. Mm -hmm. Then in May, we, we went together to Houston and over three days, we photographed 20 kitchen gardens and uh, really got to showcase, you know, small beds that are just right along the side of a home, mm -hmm. all the way to a big 250 square foot formal potage. And the idea there was inspiration for people to be able to almost treat this as a catalog where they can look and see, okay, I could do this kind of design. I could do this. Maybe I could start with a little border and, you know, go bigger. Um, so that's the first half of the book. And then the second half, um, Eric came back here in August. And um, by that time, Chicago had absolutely wowed me. We had the fan most fantastic weather that year. It rained and poured every day in June. Wow. And then it was super hot and sunny in July. So it was like all the plants got all the water and nitrogen they needed in June. And then they just literally exploded in July. And so when he got here, he like literally drove up in his Uber and he was like, oh my gosh, because he hadn't <laughs> seen it since April, right? When it just snowed. So then that helped me write um, the last four chapters. And that section is called Growing in the Kitchen Garden. So in that section, I really talk about understanding your seasons, no matter where you're growing. And then we talk through um, my method of intensive planting, of really packing in the plants, but doing it in a really beautiful, stylistic way, and then tending and harvesting. So the goal is that someone could pick up the book, never have gardened before, um, know how to set up a beautiful kitchen garden, and really start to grow in confidence um, with planning and planting it, and even picking some delicious food out of it. Awesome. I'm going to say one thing before I go on to my next question. And it was, it was brought up, it brought to mind when you said that people want to put things like behind the garage. If I had a nickel for every time someone walked me around to the dog run <laughs> as the place they want to put their garden on the North side of the house, like a two-story building, I just, I would be so wealthy right now. Um, it's, it's it, sad. yeah, you really, we just, as, as designers and garden people, we really have our work cut out for us to convince people that, that vegetable gardens are beautiful, even if they're simple, it's, what, it's about what's growing inside them and making that the, the focus. So thank you for making yeah. it. Well, thank you too. I'm so glad we're doing this together. I, you know, when I was getting, I was registering for my business bank account, I was at Wells Fargo mm -hmm. and they had a small business, you know, placard or whatever. And it was like, you know, promoting like, or opening your business account or whatever. And it was this lady holding a big tray of vegetables. There you go. It was like at a farmer's market or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just, it was a moment of clarity, Christy. I was like, people, there are eyes as human beings are evolved. I believe to think that food, fresh food 
fresh vegetables and fruit are like the most beautiful things. Like so much so that the marketing director for one of the biggest financial institutions in the U.S. chose vegetables to be on this placard. It's sexy. It's sexy. And I was like, you know what? This is it. I am in the right place. Yeah. And so I am all about, I'm so passionate about making vegetable gardens, like really showing off the beauty of them because I think we're all so inclined and ready for it anyway. We're just waiting for someone to show it to us. Yes. And speaking of sexy, I find the vegetables to be the most interesting part. So let's talk about that. Do you have any favorites, any favorite varieties or veggies that you love to grow that make great eye candy in the garden? Yes. Okay. So I am, um, let's see, how do I say this? I love gardening. Gardening is um, a central part of my life, but it does not take up a lot of my time. So as a mom of four and a business owner and two dogs and a partridge and a pear tree, (laughs) there's not a lot of time. So I go for easy and productive. Those are my, those are my go-to kinds of plants. I mean, I love the magic of pulling a carrot, but for the most part, you're going to find me planting a lot of things that look beautiful and that I can get a lot out of a plant without having to do much work. So um, tomatoes, my go-to, you'll see this on that trellis is sun gold, Juliet, and black cherry. If we are working with a new client, Juliet is a hybrid tomato. It is the most surefire success I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with a brand new client who's never had success with a tomato, I will plant Juliet on every trellis and they are going to be so proud of themselves. And the tomatoes to me are so beautiful. And I am just, I'm not like a canner. And obviously I already told you that I don't do all that kind of stuff. So I just want cherry tomatoes for a caprese real fast, right? Like I just want to go out in the morning, grab some tomatoes, put some mozzarella and balsamic and basil and I'm good. Mm -hmm. And so those little tomatoes like that, that's just like candy to me. And they're so prolific and they hold on. So those are my favorite tomatoes. I am a lettuce girl too. Um, That's what got me started. You'll hear this as a theme with me, but I've always been eating salads. Like I, you know, I don't know about you, but like I went through all the fat-free days of the nineties and stuff and like iceberg, whatever. So I can remember eating like an iceberg salad when I was in high school, like trying to pretend like I liked it. And when I first tasted, uh, it's called Rocky Top Lettuce Mix from Baker Creek. Um, That was the first lettuce variety we grew in Houston. I I mean, this sounds so stupid and people are like, whatever, Nicole, but I literally could not get enough. I mean, I would eat it for lunch. I would eat it for dinner. um, And so like light and crunchy, mix it with some mizuna and some fresh cilantro. And I, I, I'm so satisfied. I could have a garden just full of, of that lettuce and I would be so happy. And then I am a smoothie person too. So I try to have a green smoothie every morning. So I love, love, love blue scotch curled kale. Um, that's also on the front of my book. I'm a pretty boring gardener, Christy. Like if you hang around me, if anybody's ever heard from me, that's on your podcast right now, they're going to be like, we're like she's playing the same song that she's been playing for years. No. Um, I have a smoothie almost every morning with those plants and they, they're so long lasting. I mean, I put them in the garden in March and I, I will have them all the way till the end of the year. Right. Yeah, I'm a big kale fan for anyone who has heard me sing on and on about the fact that I grow 15 different varieties every year. It's like, it's all about the kale and it's pretty. Everyone should have it. Yeah. 15, you have beaten me. That is amazing. (laughs) I need your list. 
I can give you my list. Okay. Uh, I only have three varieties and I thought I was special. So well, that's, that's the thing is most people know about red Russian, Lachinato, the dinosaur kale and the, you know, curly kale. But in the last, I'd say five years, maybe longer, there are some new open pollinated varieties that have come out like dazzling blue, which is a purple Lachinato. It's mind blowing. Um, Siberian, all of Siberian, true Siberian dwarfs, those are my, I love them because they're not as tough. So people who have trouble with kale being really hard to chew or like really don't go down easy. That's the one I recommend for them because it's more tender. I'm, what do I, growing? Hanover is a new one I'm trying. Premier is another one from MI Gardener. Uh, the newest one I'm trying this year is called Thousand Head Kale and it's from Baker Creek and the, the leaves are like, each leaf is like three feet long. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, I've got to try. That's awesome. If you want a showpiece in your garden, just grow that Jurassic Kale. So anyway, we're getting off track here. Uh, I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> your favorite tomatoes and lettuces and smoothie ingredients and any others before we move on um french breakfast radishes you know i they're so easy like if someone's listening they're just beautiful they're quick to harvest uh they're easy and i also love um shishito peppers ah. in different uh, places where i've grown like bell peppers can sometimes be a challenge but i love the smaller Writing, especially the shishitos. For me, I just lean toward the, the smaller and the shorter fruits. Mm-hmm. I just, I prefer more rather than bigger. So, um, so yeah, that's what I, I typically do. But I think that's, those, you know, if I had to do a short list, those would be my, my preferences. Great. Cucumbers, I should have listed cucumbers. Suyo oh. cucumbers, I love those as well. But those, that's, you know. Suyo long, those are a Japanese long cucumber, right? Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. One unique thing about your angle with Gardenary is that you've decided to train enthusiastic gardeners who want to become garden coaches themselves. Talk about that program for a minute. Yeah, thank you so much for asking. So when I started Rooted Garden, I mostly um, marketed the business on the go on this little thing. I don't know if you've heard it. It's called Instagram. (laughs) And um, so I would post, you know, I didn't really have, at least in my head, I didn't have time for a blog. So I would just take quick snaps of the photos of the gardens I was doing or videos and post them. And I started getting like more of a nationwide following than just in Houston. And so I would get these DMs and some people would say, oh my gosh, I love the work that you just did. I love this particular garden. Do you know anyone in Maine that does this? Do you know anyone in Washington state that does this? Do you know anyone in Florida? And that was starting to pick up the pace. I would hear that more and more. And then I would also get DMs from gardeners, not as many, well, maybe as many. Uh, I think they were maybe a little bit more gun shy, but they would come out and they'd say, I have been stalking you. Like (laughs) I am trying to figure out how you took your, your passion for gardening and this little hobby. And I'm trying to figure out how you turn this into a business. Mm -hmm. And right about that time, I think was the first time I got into an Uber And I saw this, I was following a bunch of like entrepreneurship blogs and, you know, as a business owner, it's like, okay, how many things can I learn and how fast can I learn next? Because I got a lot to learn. It's a treadmill. Yeah. And so one of these articles I read was talking about the platform business model and how such a unique and, and really disruptive thing that's been happening, um, you know, in the hotel industry and the transportation industry where, 
you know, there's this common place where service providers and um, service seekers can find each other. And there's a validation there and authority that's given that gives both, um, you know, a peace of mind as they work together. And I just had this like kind of light bulb moment where I was like, I know how to do this. Like I've built this business from nothing. I took a preschool refund check from my daughter's preschool for $450. And in the first year, Rooted Garden crossed the six figure mark and I did it part-time. And so I was like, okay, I don't know everything about building a business, obviously, but I know how to do this. So I, I feel like I could teach this to other gardeners. And I also, honestly, like a bigger passion was growing in me for the garden entrepreneur. So I would like go to the grocery store. I'm sure you felt this before. Where it's like, okay, you know, all the money in the grocery store is spent in the middle, right? It's like, you know, like where's the great marketing for the organic lettuce, you know, like where's the little mascot and the, the cute songs and jingles for them, you know? And you just, the more you look at our food system and just the way food is done in the U.S., you realize like all the money is not in the right place. Right. So I started having this thought of like, you know, if we want to change the climate, if we want to make gardens more primary, you know, in our lives, somebody's got to make money off of this. Mm -hmm. And why can't it be the gardener? Agreed. Yeah. And so I, I was like, I am going to try to teach gardeners how to start their own business, just like I did. And so in 2017, I started this little thing. I called it first, the Kitchen Garden Coach Society. And you're not going to believe how many people signed up at the beginning. It was amazing. It was three. Aww. <laughs> But when those three people, I just told, you know, on Instagram, I didn't really do any marketing, but I was like, I'm thinking of helping people start a business like mine. If you're interested, click here. And so I've redeveloped the program over the years. And to this day, we have over 600 gardeners around the country. Amazing. And uh, I know, and I've taken that certification process and the, the money that I've earned and I put it back into developing this platform. So I have web developers who live in Charlottesville. That's keeping here. <laughs> and they've been building out the platforms. So my dream is that, you know, by 2025, that someone almost anywhere in the US and hopefully eventually, and we already have some in Canada, but around other parts of the world too, could come on and say, you know, I really want help in the garden. And they'd be able to find a certified garden professional in their area and I get taken care of by them that they would be able to confidently give their money to someone that they can trust and that these gardeners would be able to make a living and support their family and support their local economy um, by putting in more gardens. Wow. Well, here's to putting the money back in the pockets of those doing, you know, with their hands in the dirt and teaching people how to do that. Thank you so much for starting that program. Oh, thank you. I tell gardeners that I'm, you know, marketing the certification course, Sam White. What else in the world can you like, so just hundred percent say there's no bad side, right? That's true. You know, it's like, it's good for the person who buys it. It's good for their community. It's good for the entire planet. Yep. It's just so, so good. And I was honestly looking, I think my whole life for something that I could work that could be my business that I, I truly had no hesitations about. So I just, I'm so excited for everyone that is making money, like making a living around the idea of gardening. I think it's so important. And with that, 
it is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? I do. Tip time. I love this. I told Christy, I have to say this. I have listened to your tips for years. I can literally remember starting Ruta Garden 2015, walking in my neighborhood, listening to it's the Garden Nerd tip of the week. <laughs> and I love that it was short so I could like get a tip and then go do it. So it's okay. such an honor to be part of your tip. Oh, well, thank you. Um, my tip is to grow with your plants. So I teach my students, pretend like there's this line in the air, it's diagonal. And on this line is sun, time, and space. And as you go up the line, things need everything else. Everything goes up together, more sun, more time, more space. Mm -hmm. So the really cool thing to know about plants is Plants generally either need a little bit of time, a little bit of space, a little bit of sun, or they need a lot of space, a lot of time, and a lot of sun. Mm -hmm. And on this line, there are plants at every single space. So if you are in a place where you don't have a lot of sun, like you're even if you're just looking at a part of your landscape where you don't have a lot of sun, there's plants that will grow there. And then if you have this space where you have tons of space, lots of time, you, you've got 90, 120 days coming up. And, um, and you know you've got plenty of sunlight, then there are plants there too. So my tip is to anytime, whether it's your own gardening journey or if it's even just a season that's coming up. So I know like if you're heading into the new year, you're looking at the new year and you're just even thinking about, you know, what plants are gonna fit my life right now um, to think about how much time you have for those plants. And it might be coming into a busy season, that's fine. And, um, you know, or how much sun do I have and how much space do I have? And then picking the plants that belong on that. The quick summary is herbs and leafy greens are down at the bottom of this line. Um, root crops are somewhere in the middle. They need like six hours. You could put, you know, a number of them in one square foot. Then small fruits, so plants that finish up in about 90 days and need about one square foot. So that could be like cherry tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers. And then you have your big fruits. So big melons, big pumpkins, corn. Those are things at the top that need a lot of space, a lot of time, a lot of sun. So um, I use this all the time, even when I'm coming into like a new set of, you know, three months or a new quarter um, that we never have to feel pressured that we've always got to be at the top of the line. Um, there's always a plant to be growing to, to keep you happy and give you something good to eat. What a great tip. Thank you so much for sharing that tip, Nicole, and for being a guest on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It is a true treat. How do people find you? Find me. Well, you can find me on the interwebs. Um, Gardenary.com is our website. You can find a garden consultant. If you're looking for one there, it's on our homepage. And um, you can also read our blog. And if you're interested in becoming a garden coach, you can go to gardencoachsociety.com. And that's where you'll find all about that program. Um, so those are the, that's the, my favorite place to find you, for you to find me. Um, on Instagram, we are gardeneryco, C-O at the end. And um, mostly around the web, we're that as well, like TikTok and YouTube and Pinterest. We're mostly gardeneryco. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I do have a podcast, but I haven't recorded an episode <laughs> in about 10 months, but it's called the Grow Yourself Podcast. So I know all these people who are here obviously love to listen to podcasts. So you can at least listen to a year's worth of episodes before you run out. 
great. And I know people don't really care when, because uh, you know, gardening is very seasonal, and so it's nice to have up up to the minute information. But the the information about learning how to garden is evergreen, and so that's kind of nice. Absolutely, to have. I could listen. I listen to your stuff. You know, months, years after it was done. I mean, it's a carrot is still a carrot, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, awesome. All right, garden nerds, you will find a link to Nicole's website on gardennerd.com this week. We'll also share her social media links, her courses, and where to get her fabulously gorgeous book. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at gardennerd.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under gardennerd1, on Facebook as gardennerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!